and welcome back to Educate Ebony, the metal edition. I'm having a great time. Hope you guys are too. Uh, last week I spoke to Aiden Zovzovic and Jordan McQuitty from Dreg, and they were super cool to chat to. They recommended me two albums, Plagues by The Devil Wears Prada and The Kids We Used To Be by Your Demise. Yeah, pretty excited to listen to both of these too because, I mean, they sold it to me pretty well. So The Kids We Used To Be by Your Demise. I did a bit of cleaning, did a bit of housework, you know, and I have to say it probably took me a bit to get into it. I think hardcore for me is almost a bit too in your face. You know, I like to ease into ease into albums and I guess let it build a bit more, but that's not really possible because, you know, they just jumped out swinging from the first song. But, you know, a couple songs in and then I was vibing. It was good. There was a flow and I like how it's not all constant heavy hitting and I think my standout song, other than the title track, I really like Shine On, which featured Mike Heronica of The Devil Wears Prada. That was cool. And then leading into The Devil Wears Prada album, Plagues, I liked that. It was slightly unhinged, and I think I liked that aspect of it. I think the vocals varied a lot, like different types of screams. Don't ask me what they are, because I probably can't tell you, but I liked that. Um, And then I'm a big fan of like piano and organ, and that was throughout the album too. I just think it brought like a lightness, maybe a bit of a relief to the album. And I had quite a few favorite songs on this album. I really liked Don't Dink and Drance. (laughs) You can't spell crap without C. Nichols is money too. Uh, And I do think the flies or the sound of flies at the end of uh, HTML rules, dude. That was pretty gross. That was disgusting. Also, these song names are mad. And as a writer, it hurts me but I appreciate the humor. Anyway, so big thanks to Zov and Jordan for coming on and educating me. And let's get to this week. Be great. And look, this is just your quick reminder if you haven't um, followed me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you like, you can catch me at, at Educate Ebony. I post some cool stuff. You might like it. Anyway, let's get to it. For this episode of Educate Ebony, I would love to introduce Sam Dillon. He has his finger in a few musical pies, including being the vocalist for Low. Hadal Moore, and most recent death metal project, Nesha. He's a fan of Pythons and is an illustrator as well. And I have to say, I saw you perform at Big Sound 2019, low. And yeah, I will never forget, that was like insane. As soon as um, Janine emailed me, uh, my boss Brownie was like, oh, remember that guy? I'm like, I do immediately. Yeah, it was a great show. So I'm excited to have you. Welcome. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. So with the premise of this show, is it because you're like, are you trying to gather knowledge about things that you're not exposed to? Or are these, it's just like, are you a newbie to things? Is that what it is? Not overly. I mean, I listen to metal, mostly metalcore, but I feel like I got into it a lot later than most. Like, oh, you know, what, last year of high school, first year of uni, wasn't exactly super late, but I'm the older sibling. I didn't have anyone to be like, hey, check out this album by so-and-so. And then with the rise of like LimeWire, it's always a couple of songs here and there, the singles, and never a full album. So this is really me just trying to fix that and hear what I should have been hearing my entire life. Oh, I don't think there's any rules of what you should be hearing or not. It's more that I think what touches you and what inspires you and what has a, like a resonance with you with the music that you pick. Like I don't listen to metal nonstop in my own life. I prefer to have a, a mixed palette of everything to get inspired by, same with film or books. But that whole thing of your age group because I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of the autumn leaf compared to you (laughs) um at least that way now you've got such 
an easy access to all the plethora of music. Like when I was younger and I, it was my formative years, there was only so many albums that reached Australia and or if that, you'd have to wait five years for something to download on Napster and then it might be a correct <laughs> file. <laughs> but it was, it was a bit of a gatekeeping thing of you hung out at the record store, you, you went to the gigs and you made friends that organic way and then they'd make you mixtapes or they'd, they'd put you onto a magazine subscription and you'd be able to get something through that. But it, yeah, it's all what you love and, and there's no there's no rules to people saying, well, I don't think that that's a relevant or, or valid band. You just like what you like. Yeah, that's true. I do feel like I missed out on like a lot of classic albums or classic bands. So it's like, what, before this podcast, I'd never listened to a full Metallica album. And some might say that's a crime. So I fixed that now. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know. It's a blessing though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hear what you're going to tell me to listen to. So... The one metal album, how long did it take you to reach a conclusion on this one? Well, to be honest, I had to sort of censor myself because uh, I've got four or five that really hit the mark for me in, in ways that have made a profound influence on my life, especially in the way that I go towards music and how I write albums. But uh, yeah, I was actually thinking Marilyn Manson's Hollywood, but uh, the myth has accidentally caught up with the man, so we can't be talking about that. Uh, <laughs> then there's other ones that are a bit too obscure for their own good, like Lord Mantis, Death Mask, or Skinny Puppies, uh, Too Dark Park. These are all great albums of a lot of self-loathing and that, but I think that there's stuff that's made more of a direct impact on me. So today I'd like to talk about Gallo's 2009 album, Grey Britain. I have never heard of them. I'm going to write that down so I don't forget. You've never heard of Gallows? No. Who are they? Surely you know the most famous ranger in the world besides Josh Homme is Frank Carter. Yes. Yeah. Frank Carter the singer, was the singer of Gallows and his brother was the guitarist that wrote the album with him. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Because mm. all you ever hear about is Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. Yeah. yeah. Well, fair enough. He's, he's definitely had a sea change of more positivity in his life and more of a party dog scenario. But that man has his origins in being very angry at his own country. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, so you had the other few that you were going to, you know, going to think about and got to maybe bring to the podcast. But this album specifically, what about this album where you're like, oh, yeah, that's the one. I think it's important for people to listen to now because it's a modern classic. And it was their second album that they did. Now, before that, they had an album called Orchestra of Wolves. And it, it showed their age. It showed that they they had the potential for really, really good songwriting, especially in, the, they're not technically a metal band, but they're not, in my eyes, technically a hardcore band either. So they've got big bravado. They put on a great show. There's a lot of angst and energy in all their tracks and a bit of that English sarcasm. And it's all showcased by Frank's ability to just have the most, I guess, it's the most uh, unmistakable English accent. And he uses this snarl and this raspy voice with this very Londoner vibe on it. And you'll never mistake it for anything when you hear it. And it adds more of a genuine nature to it. And it's one of those, I think a lot of people in heavy music, they try and emulate four or five American or European voices and they get lost in that flavor. And sometimes it, it loses the identity of the singer. So as long as you can pronounce your words, I think it's good to be able to have your character in the music as well. So it's it's great to be able to hear stuff from a band that you'll just never mistake the singer from somewhere else. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, he wrote Orchestra of Wolves. It was quite a party album, but there was a guy called Lags who's still in the band and he was the main songwriter for that. But uh, with a lot of hype and they were signed to Warner, they were looking forward to their next album and everyone was waiting with bated breath. They were like the darlings of NME and they were supposed to be the future of um, the UK scene. And, and as we can see, you know, 15 years on or whatever, Frank Carter's kicking goals. Like he is, he is like a, a stadium-filling identity now. And during 2009, we're looking at the global recession, the collapse of the economy across most of the Western world. And also there's xenophobia, there's racism, there's knife violence and poverty across the UK. And a lot of things that haven't been addressed in music that people have just been putting their heads in the sand a lot about it. And he'd managed to kind of look into his crystal ball and see Brexit was on its way. Like there's a lot of things in this album that happened 10 years before they happened in real life. And it's, it's quite eerie and poignant to hear those lyrics that are so angry and so uh, disgusted in your own homeland be able to come true and I think he has a lot of uh, sorrow about the way that it's shaped out and when you're going to be that violent and that's observant about your hometown or the people that you're with and the society around you in general and all its corruption that's going to take a lot out of you but it's it's painting with only a black brush so there's not much light in it and it does create emotion and it does create anger and it, it, it comes from a place of frustration but I can understand why that was the last album that he did with his band and that's also one of the few that Stephen his brother was able to write the music for and I think it burnt him out because he didn't really do too much of the writing after that uh, for the next year or two that he was still involved with the band but yeah so yeah it's a wonderful piece of art and there's a lot of themes in it I feel like I'm waffling on. Is there any <laughs> no, is no. there any kind of clarity that you would like to ask about this stuff or I mean in terms of it being such a dark album I think that takes a lot of like introspection as well as I guess looking at the world around you and then it sort of leads to like how long does it take to put something like this together? How long is a piece of string as well? But but like you know to actually get it all right but not get too mad about it and then I don't know mess it up or something like it's just a lot of work, isn't it? This is huge. It was a big undertaking for the band. They have a lot of guest vocals, um, uh, big band situations, orchestral scores, lots of sampling to do with that whole geography of London itself. And it was cut both in London and I think also in America as well. And it took quite a while because there was a lot riding on it. And I have a feeling that Warner was not that particularly impressed with the idea of how <laughs> violent this was going to be, considering that they kind of hoped, I guess, that they would be sort of a party version of Cancer Bats by that stage. So <laughs> I think that they were regretting their investment on the band when this has happened. But I feel that it's way more genuine and will stand this test of time compared to a lot of the bands that were on that roster in the hardcore genre. Yeah, so when you hear the opening track, uh, have you ever been to London? Yes, yes, I have. What did you think of it as a city? I think coming from Australia, like, oh my gosh, this is where, this is, you know, quote unquote, the motherland sort of thing. So it's like, oh my gosh, cobbled streets, just really quirky and kind of cool and depends where you go, but I liked it, yeah. Okay, all right, how long were you there for? Uh, I was in England for about three months, but in London for like a couple of days here and there, back and forth. Yep. 
Okay. Well, that's, that's a little bit of a stint, like, to be there. I was there for a couple of years, and oh, I was right. actually there during this moment where I watched the shift of the band be told that they were bringing this album out. I was at the very first show that they did, the teaser gig at Ooh. Rough Trade Records in East London, where you had to purchase the album, and then it was a ticketed thing where only, say, 100 people were allowed in the record store, and they rolled the vinyl to one side, opened it up, and he basically ran up the stairs and jumped a story into the crowd in the middle of a... Like, imagine, say, uh, like a, a records in New York and it just becomes a hardcore gig for the next hour. And they played it track for track the whole gig. It was wonderful. And then as like a nice bookend, I guess, two years later, in the last couple of weeks where I was about to come back from England, I got a ticket through a ballot to go to the very last performance that Frank ever did with the band. And it was track for track the whole album again. And so you watch him tentatively releasing these songs that he's been excited about writing. And then two yeah. years later to see him be completely swallowed by his own creation and calling it a day. So, so it he was, was like it's quite, it? he was finished. Well, yeah, yeah. It, I would say that having to be that character and feel those songs and sell them, I guess, each night with that same vitriol, it probably took its toll. And it was just the end of that chapter. And then all of a sudden you see the rise of Pure Love and Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes happen from this explosion. So uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful gig and I uh, will never forget that period of it because it was a soundtrack to when I was living in a very, very tough, uh, not a holiday vibe <laughs> at all. Oh. So the poverty was rife, the violence is rife, the drinking and the, I guess, the walking portfolios of people. So when you meet people around that time, you're not meeting the real person, meeting someone that's going to jump down your throat and tell you just how cool they are and why you should be friends with them. So it's it's not 20 questions about both people, it's 20 statements about one person. So I do have a lot of close friends that I've kept from London, and uh, but I do get a bit of a PTSD when I go back there and tour with my other bands just because of how dank it was back then, especially with the way that the political environment was shaping up to be. Wow. This is really intense. I didn't, I don't, I guess I never really thought of. Uh... Well, she stopped my Instagram and you saw little cartoons and <laughs> pictures of lizards and kookaburras yeah. and you're like, he's a wholesome chap, he'll be all right. I know, I did my, did my yeah. stalking. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> London, yeah. horrible. Mm. Ugh. Nah. <laughs> oh, cool. It's got its good points, but it's uh, when it's stuff like, say, a recession and uh, political upheaval and domestic violence. Yeah, it's it's kind of like being at a thun park when you're too short to get on any of the rides. It felt a bit like that. So you are you are pushed to your limits to be able to get through stuff. And music is is a great escape for people, and it, it became a necessary part of my survival, really. So. Yeah, but that ability to be snide, sarcastic and mean everything that you say with like very uh, razor sharp uh, observations of the, your environment, it's a great way of writing uh, heavy music. Like there's no need to talk about Dungeons and Dragons and, <laughs> and uh, you know, the vacuums of space when the true horrors, the true hells are the ones that we are creating right now. And none's more truer than what I see in the themes of, of Great Britain. So it's, you got to remember that 
like you said, you you went to London. A lot of tourists from Australia go to London because they're like, oh, that's the start of my Anglo-Saxon background or whatever. That, that's where Queen has happened. That's where all my favourite movies had, had shaped up from. This is where uh, the Commonwealth of, of what we are, it all begun here. Yeah. And there was a, the golden era of that kind of stuff and, and leading up into, say, Churchill and Thatcher and that. They're all fighting for this ideal of England I feel doesn't actually exist. It's the same as like Americans, America, and it's all the bold, the home of the bold and the free. And no one's actually free. You're all just living to your own myth. And I feel even, even one of the little kind of little tiny hopeful moments that we see in this Great Britain album, I don't know if he even believes that, that, that he's good enough for the golden age, for the ability to come out of the end of the fire. Because there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of anger and remorse going on with a lot of the themes. So burials and uh, graveyards seem to be a constant theme in the whole album, in the lyrics. But also your more biblical references, say the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and uh, the Grim Reaper is featured in different kind of guises and uh, more totem animals that that come from European folklore. So your rats, your leeches, your vultures and your pigs, they're all symbolising the police state. They're symbolising the Nationalist Party. So it's all really grim, but done in a sing-song, hardcore meets metal anthem way. And I love that ability to, to educate people in, a, in violent terms, but have them, you know, in the pit stomping <laughs> along. So it still was a fantastic show to watch and an album that you you could say it's full of bangers, even if the subject matter is completely disgusting for a lot of it. Like there's lyrics about getting your own back at pedophiles and corrupt priests and and um, children from your council flats that have stabbed your mate. So, yeah, what? it's full on. How do you, I mean, it obviously covers a lot of uh, individual topics as well under like a big umbrella of like England, Britain. But, like, do you find that it all flows quite well and it kind of fits together? There's not too many elements, like, thrown into the pot? It's unrelenting in the focus on the negative, but musically it rolls forward pretty quickly. And But it all has this recurring theme, which I really love, and I apply that a lot to low, especially in my lyrics, is I like to have core characters for each album. And it really drives home the message and the theme of what you wanted to do. And well, basically it shows whether or not your audience is paying attention to what <laughs> you've been doing. <laughs> the opening track, it's the sounds of the lapping of the water of the Thames uh, hitting against the dock. And you've been to London, you've seen the River Thames. And it's not exactly the nicest river in the world. It's quite ominous and creepy. It looks like a giant chocolate milk snake running through a very gray rainy city yeah and the symbolism of the thames is or the thames i keep my accent it keeps being able to hide your sins because you can throw a body in a river you can throw your your regrets and your flaws and your sins into a river and it will be hidden but like everything especially that part of the world as the tide retreats all your ghosts or your skeletons or your wrongdoings become exposed in the mud. You see them and bodies pile up and all your regrets pile up to the point that when the water is washed away, there's nowhere left to hide. And I feel 
that that life led by these guys from Watford, which is, it's a bit of a shithole, really. <laughs> it's coming back to them. So you can't escape your past. And they're not just talking about themselves. They're talking about colonialism. They're talking about the, the fucked up monarchy. They're talking about the crash of capitalism. All this stuff is now being exposed. And it's happening within the first song of the album. And then we go through and it's the corruption of of their officials, of the church in England, of people that will say one thing and do another, that very charlatan-esque snake charmer, snake oil sales sort of persona and vultures, of course, picking off the goods and, and efforts of others. Mm, it's it's great. And you even hear samples of uh, slaughter yard pigs squealing for their last gasp oh, no. in some of these songs. And it's, it's, all, it's all very, yeah, very vile, very theatrical. It does have a very cinematic element to a lot of these songs. But uh, you do roll along with it and you notice that those key characters keep popping up. So when you, after this podcast, if you're interested, you can go and have a look at what the proposed artwork was supposed to be for this release. Because oh. Frank's a tattooist, as you probably already know, and he does a lot of flash. And... He had been in charge of coming up with the painting that was going to be featured as the main of this uh, Great Britain release. And it was instantly knocked back by the record company and by the obscenity <sighs> laws of the UK. Because oh, it was what? all that disgusting imagery that I just talked about. Imagine the stations of the cross, one to one to ten or twelve or whatever, except that the Christ figure is actually the youth of the UK. It is the it is the corrupt priest. It is the uh, the racist and sexist police department. And they're all being stabbed or raped or choked or snuffed out by faceless hoodie youths from the council flats. And it was painted on a ginormous watercolour parchment and it never got to be used. So they, when you buy the release, it opens up in the middle and it's just a blank censored block over the edge of the whole thing and you can only see like a little millimeters of some violent thing happening around the edges so it's it's like even the uk record companies were too ashamed of their own past to even let the image of the lyrics be seen with human eyes so oh my gosh Frank went ahead and released a very limited number of these prints which i actually own so i have one of those I would have loved it so much. I even got one of the English Rose emblem that goes with the Grey Britain album tattooed to my leg. And oh, wow. uh, Frank got to see it in person a few years ago when Lowe was supporting Cult Leader and he was at Crowbar up in Brisbane kicking on with a couple of lasses. But it was, it was a really, really funny little end chapter to seeing something happen, see it blossom and then see it implode and then see a different human being uh, metamorphosize out of the end of it. Yes. I mean, therapy is a big thing these days. Everyone basically should be going to therapy and improving themselves. But like that would have taken, that's, it just sounds so angry and so horrible. How do you even move past something like that? I, you know, music is a cathartic release as well. But when you have to keep revisiting it and keep performing it and keep playing it and talking about it over and over again, yeah, that would take a long time to move past. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be different if you were, say, Weirdo Yankovic, because <laughs> <laughs> every night would just be, all right, it's time, time to think about eating donuts. It's time yeah. to do that, do the, the poker of different things and just be a goofball for the rest of your life. 
I think, yeah, when you paint yourself as a character, but the sentiment is genuine, there must be able to be some sort of balance where you can deal with what you've created. Because otherwise, yeah, the monster that you've made becomes you. Yeah. hmm. Yeah. Like I I definitely, when I do a low gig or a Hadle Moore gig, I embody the song theme that I've wrote. So I become those core characters that I've created for the album for that cycle. So I become the the locust Christ. I become the Judas steer, these things that I, that I sing about. And I feel that is a great way for me to deliver my best performance and to give the right dignity to the song and what I've, I've, I've been talking about. And I got to see quite a few of these gala shows on the Great Britain cycle it was amazing to see that level of conviction coming through from a performer. And it's always stuck really firm with me. I felt the whole band really believed in what they were doing for this, for this um, subject matter. Yeah. So did they influence what you do now or you were um, in that zone before you saw Gala or you heard this album, Great Britain? I had never put too much effort into the subject matter to that level until I'd been exposed to bands like Gallows and Converge and and I I saw the the amount of effort and the amount of passion that these performers had for it. So I was always good at performing and being theatrical and holding a crowd, but not to the ability of being so proud of what I did that I never wanted to do a bad job. I just wanted like I believed in the in the statements that I was making and, and the the communication of it. So it definitely does influence me now. Not sonically, like I'm not in a hardcore band. I don't sound punk at all, but that ability to showcase that sort of social uh, tapestry, that painting of something so grim, but turn it into an anthem and hopefully uh, reach people I feel that's super important and that's one of the main things why I keep getting excited about hearing bands like Gallows and I really hope another album comes out like that from someone else that can uh, embody the mess that we're going through at the moment not just like fuck them fuck you fuck this no actually have some description of what it's like to be in that situation to go through that mire and muck and come out the other side well, how do you think Australia would handle uh, if it was an Australian band who went and did something like that? Our record labels, our society, do you reckon it, they would handle it the same way that England did, like censoring, you know? Quite possibly. I'm not to too toot about it, but that's pretty much what I'm hoping to achieve with the new Low album when it comes out next Ooh. year. I've been Ooh. writing in, in my little hibernation bunker for the last year and whatever because of all these isolation stuff. And we're following bushfires. We're following racism. We're following just a complete incompetence, like weaponized incompetence of, a, <laughs> yeah. of our government leaders. It's really gross. And I, it's everything I'm doing now is is building from just being completely overwhelmed and frustrated with what's going on. And you can paint, you can paint that into pictures of heavy music quite easily, like abrasion and aggression and the, just the stamina of it. It's all coming from things that are happening around us. So, and I like to be able to make it into a really illustrative detailed way in my lyrics and i'm very lucky that i've got people like carl in 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 low and um nick and ben in hadle Moore that when they do write 
there's that scope there for songs to be anthems, for them to have many layers and be theatrical and, and build that cinematic soundscape that tells a story from start to finish. So I really hope that we are able to release our stuff and have it taken on board with that sort of stuff at, at mind from the audiences. Mm, yeah, definitely. That'll be really interesting to see, yeah, what happens in the response as well. Oh, and in terms of this album, Grave Britain, I feel like I should have the lyrics with me. Like, is that oh, a I've really important aspect? You. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> I did all my research last night. But, um, yeah, I... It's one. It's it's the kind of album that you're probably not going to listen to every single week because it's Heavy. it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty damning. And but like I said, you can feel the genuine vitriol of the writer in there. So I uh, I took a little sample from one of the the songs. It's called Crucif. Instead of Crucifix, it's Crucifux. Huh. Wow, so edgy. Oh. And um, and that's that's the very last song of the album. So as I said. It opens with the Thames lapping at the shore, threatening to expose all your sins of, of a nation and of an individual. But then we visit these other characters and all these ones I'm telling you about that are featured in this, this end result painting that never got to be seen by the world. The end one crucifix, track 13, his lyrics at the end go, it's time for us to take a stand. We are dying on our knees in this grey broken land. And all the martyrs that have convinced themselves that death ain't a sin while you're living in hell. There ain't no glory and there ain't no hope. We hang ourselves, just show us the rope. There ain't no scapegoats left to blame. We've brought this on ourselves and we could have been the change. Grey Britain is fucking dead. So cut our throats, end our lives. Let's fucking start again. Wow, that's a bit of a call to action, isn't it? And then it just goes silent. That's the last human word that happens in the album. But that track itself keeps running for another five minutes. And it's this somber, bittersweet crescendo of orchestral strings and horns. And it sounds as if it's supposed to be the calling of the guard at Buckingham Palace or something, or perhaps the end of a Sweeney Todd a scene or, you know what I mean? It's very British, um, <laughs> but it's very ugly as well. So I like to think of this whole album as, say, something like Francis Bacon painting, where it's just so typically English in its direness, but it's iconic at, at the same time. You'll never forget the image. You'll never forget the sound. And... I think it's that one fragile but honest flicker of hope he mentions there of being able to come from like a phoenix from the ashes. So it's almost stuffed out completely by this whole album because of what it's led to him having to admit that. And that sacking of Rome, that burning the choked forest to make room for new growth, that rebirth. But he's also acknowledging that place you occupy in your own way in a sty. So that broken land that perhaps we should just burn down with our creations. That's pretty a fitting end to a filthy time. So the end note, it's that funeral departure, I feel. And it's very dramatic, as I said, the whole album is, but it leaves that pause without his snarly voice for those last ending minutes for the listener to be able to, I guess, repent and reflect on where we're at. Because this could just, like, sure, this is a very British album. But I don't feel Australia is that alien to the sentiments and the subject matter that's been put in place. Same with Trump's US, same with um, Putin's oh. Russia. Mm -hmm. It's the same stuff. It's that tyrannical leader. It's those corrupt individuals and that 
clinging to those old archaic and useless religious ways that just keep us repeating our past and having our own personal rivers expose those piles of bodies of everything wrong that we've done. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I feel like it's that it's challenging people. Are we going to be better or is this the cycle that we're doomed or cursed to be able to do each time? Yeah. Wow. Well, how do I go about listening to this one? <laughs> how? What? Yeah, what are my listening notes? How do I get in the zone to digest all of this? I feel... Well, you've seen the you've seen the river, you've been to the city, you've seen grey skies. It's like Diet Coke London is Melbourne in the winter, <laughs> um, but full flavoured London is a grim place indeed. And imagine the architecture around you. Imagine sentiment of a impoverished society imagine frustrated individuals hell just imagine a regular creative in lockdown in australia it's probably the same <laughs> damn vibe. yeah um and then take that and hear hear a man's cries and yelps about a society that he wants to change i feel ready i feel nervous <laughs> but i'm excited to hear all of this it's pretty easy to to stomach because of the songwriting. His brother did a fantastic job with these real buzzsaw, punky, ridiculously hooky guitar riffs, and it it rollicks along with the gang vocals and the big the big band vibe. Because the the guy that even uh, was the producer on this, his father was the guy that was responsible for all the biggest hits from Alice Cooper. And yeah, his son, the one that's looked after Great Britain, did Rage Against Machines best albums. He's done a Biffy Cairo. So he's used to keeping people's ears in check when when they're hearing violent notions about yeah. politics. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. Oh my gosh. Oh, all right. <laughs> there we have it. The one metal album that Sam Dillon thinks that you and I should listen to is Great Britain by Gallows. Sam, thank you so much for your wisdom. I can't wait to listen to it from your point of view. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. I hope it has educated you, Ebony. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to have to like watch a Rick and Morty episode or something now <laughs> because like when I do music, mm. I definitely am putting the effort in and, and I want my depiction of things to come through and be, and be concise, but I'm not a gloomy person. <laughs> <laughs> I need to pick me up. I need to pick me up. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to have to watch like Wild Japan on BBC and look at some <laughs> little red pandas or something like that. I need. I need to see something something good wholesome about the world. after this 25 yeah. minutes of going. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>